Good morning. Glad you're here. Please pray with me. Oh, Holy Father, we thank you for the blessed occasion of the gathering of your people. Father, we thank you for loving us and sending your Son to die for us, to save us from our sins. Father, our our desire this day for ourselves and for your people all across the world, all over this planet, is that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, that your Son Jesus might be greatly exalted. We thank you for him and we pray in his name, in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Please open your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 3. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, chapter 3. We haven't been in this book in quite some time, but you may recall that the theme of the book of Judges is found in the book twice, in chapter 17, verse 6, and then in the very final verse of the book, chapter 21, verse 25, both of which read this way. Listen. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In the book Judges, God's people did what God's people often do. There's this vicious cycle, and we see it recur again and again and again. Apostasy, repentance, rescue. Apostasy, repentance, rescue. Apostasy, repentance, rescue. Again and again and again. God's people slide away from Him. They backslide. They apostatize. They leave the faith. And God brings down His judgment upon them. And then under the tribulation of divine judgment, they repent. Oh! And they cry out to God for mercy and deliverance. And God raises up a deliverer, a judge, who delivers them from the oppression. And a period of peace and prosperity follows. And then, after a while, they apostatize again. And beloved, listen, surely, surely there is a warning for us in this cycle. Because it's the cycle of a man. It's a cycle that we can fall into individually and personally if we're not pressing on, reforming ourselves, confessing and forsaking our sin, keeping short accounts with our God. Now listen, you know and I know that there is no stasis in the Christian life. There's no standing still. Are you listening? There's progression or there's regression. We're either advancing or we're retreating. 
And we need to be advancing. Aslan would say, we need to be going further up and further in. Further up and further in to the kingdom of God. But look there to the book Judges, chapter 3. I think you know that I don't like for preachers to tell jokes from the pulpit. Do you know that? Um, Actually, I shouldn't say I don't like it. I actually hate it. I abhor it. And certainly there are arguments against my position, but I for one have a very, very hard time quickly shifting gears from laughing at a joke to discussing ideas that I believe are the most important ideas in the universe. I have a hard time making that shift. So, I like solemn preaching. I like serious preaching. And I have for as long as I can remember because the ideas in Holy Scripture are serious. They are the most serious ideas there are. So I'm not going to tell you a joke this morning. But I am going to tell you a humorous anecdote about a great Bible story. I know I've told some of you about this before. But look there to Judges chapter 3, beginning at verse 12. Judges 3.12. Would you please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture? The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, eighteen years. But when the children of Israel cried unto Jehovah, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length, and he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. And he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he rose out of his seat. And Ehud put forth his hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. Then Ehud went 
through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came. And when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. And they tarried until they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Syrioth. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mount of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mount and he before them. And he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, all men of valor. There escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. You may be seated. Now that was the story of Ehud, a left-handed, left-handed Benjamite who delivered God's people from the oppression of the Moabites. I've told some of you before that when I was a young boy, my papa would read Bible stories to me every night. And this was a favorite. This was the kind I loved. It's the kind of story that grabs a little boy by the imagination. A concealed weapon. A covert plot. A knife in the belly, deep and hard. So deep, so hard, that the knife handle haft goes in after the blade and he can't even get it back out. And the dirt runs out of the fat king like a gutted fish. Good Bible story. I'll tell you, as a young one, my eyes would grow wide and my imagination would shiver when I heard a story like that. But here's the humorous anecdote. My papa told me of a good friend of his who read this Bible story to his two young sons. He read them the story of Judge Ehud and Fat King Eglon. And after reading the Bible story, he said, boys, did you learn anything from that story? And one of the young boys thought about it for a minute, and he said, if God is on your side, you can get away with anything. He said, if God is on your side, you can get away with anything. Now that's humorous. That's, that's funny. But beloved, consider. Consider that statement. If God is on your side, you can get away with anything. And I can tell you, I've thought about that statement a lot. And though it's humorous, especially in the context of Judge Ehud and King Eglon, 
Though it's humorous in that context, I think its primary virtue is not that it's funny, but that it's true. If God is on your side, you can get away with anything. Beloved, listen. How or why did Abraham chase down the whole armed alliance of the eastern kings with 318 of his chosen men and defeat all of them and recover Lot and all the women and recover all the property that they had carried away and plundered? Why? Because God was on Abraham's side. Why did Joseph prosper in the house of Potiphar and then prosper in the Egyptian penitentiary and then rise to be the vice pharaoh over all the land of Egypt? Why? Why? Because God was on Joseph's side. Why did young Moses become the son of Pharaoh's daughter and grow up in sumptuous royal luxury? Why did that poorly spoken, shy young Hebrew lead the people of God to liberty on dry ground through the midst of the Red Sea while all the armies of Pharaoh perished beneath the waves? Why? Why? Don't you know? God was on Moses' side. Why did Samson, this jug-headed, long-haired championship wrestler of his day, why did Samson massacre a thousand Philistine warriors with a donkey's jawbone? Well, because God was on Samson's side. That's why. Why did David, this humble songwriter boy, guitar picker, sheep herder, why did he strike down this special forces giant? And then hew his head off with his own sword. How did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, saints, why? Well, it's because God was on David's side. And if God's on your side, you can get away with anything. There was a time when the great Apostle Paul posed a rhetorical question to the Roman Christians. And he asked them, if God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.31. And, and listen, the question was a rhetorical question. Paul didn't answer it. But we know the answer. Don't we? We know the answer to the question. And the saints of God, the answer is, if God is for us, nothing, no thing, nothing can stand against us. If God is for us. My brothers and sisters, listen, this should be a comfort to the people of God. Speaking to His chosen people through His prophet Isaiah, God Almighty promised them, saying, No weapon formed against thee shall prosper, 
And every tongue that shall rise in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Isaiah 54, 17. And saints, aren't we the servants of the Lord? Well, we claim to be. That's the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Now, listen, listen, saints of God. If you have success in your studies, if you have success on your job, if your marriage prospers, why is that? Let me ask you something. Can you say, listen, can you say, my hard work, my intellect, my skill, my wisdom, my proficience, and my virtue have brought me here. Can you say that? Can you say that? God help us. God help us. I hope every saint here would tremble at the thought of such a statement. (laughs) Because of such are not the kingdom of God. Rather... You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and the base things of the world. And things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. Those Christians, they're idiots. Say what you will. Say what you will. Beloved, we know that promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one, and He setteth up another. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. And we know that it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Lamentations 3.22 Listen, beloved, if we are blessed, it is because our God is blessing us. If we are succeeding, it is because our God is prospering us. And all the glory is His No flesh should glory in His presence. If we're doing good, it's because God is on our side. Now listen, listen. If that's true, if that's true, that when God is on your side, you can get away with anything, then the question that immediately comes to my mind is, how can I get God on my side? 
Because I want all that good stuff, don't you? How can I get God on my side? And saints of God, hear me, please. Because you may not like the answer to this question. How can I get God on my side? Because the answer to that question is you can't get God on your side. You cannot. You can't do it. Please look to the book Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. There was a time in the career of Joshua when the Hebrews were advancing into the promised land. And if you look there to verse 13 of Joshua chapter 5, the Bible says, It came to pass when Joshua was, was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us? Or for our adversaries. And he said, Nay, but as the captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, saints of God, think with me for a minute. Was Joshua God's man? Sure, he was. He surely was. And when Joshua goes and asks this angelic warrior, are you for us? Or are you for them? Well, how does the mighty angel answer? <laughs> he says, nay. He says, neither. Neither one. He says, Joshua, I'm not on your side. And not I'm not on their side. I'm on the Lord's side. That's what I'm here for. I am on Yahweh's side. Now I ask you, was God on Joshua's side? Well, he surely was on Joshua's side at Jericho. You remember that? When Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down? He surely was on Joshua's side then. God knocked the walls down for him and for his people. But what about at Ai? What about at Ai when the men of Ai chased the men of Israel and slew a bunch of them? And the heart of the Israelites, quote, melted and became like water. Was God on Joshua's side then? Well, I would assert that if words have meaning, God was not on their side then. God was not on their side then. They lost. They were running like sheep before a wolf. Saints, listen, don't, don't you see what's really important here? We ask the question, how can I get God on my side? And I told you the answer was, we can't, you can't, I can't. Joshua asked the angel, are you on our side? No. 
Are you on their side? No. Well, whose side are you on? I'm on the Lord's side. I'm on the Lord's side. Do you see, friend? We asked the wrong question. We asked the wrong question. Joshua learned that what was really important was not getting God on his side. What was really important was making sure that he was on God's side. That's what's important. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai and found the Hebrews dancing naked, engaged in rank idolatry, worshiping before a calf made of gold, the Bible says that the prophet stood in the gate of the camp of Israel and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith Jehovah God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go out and in from the gate to to gate throughout this camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And there fell of the people on that day about three thousand men." Exodus 32, 26 through 29. I tell you, saints, listen, that was a horrible day of judgment. And what was important was not for these people to wonder whether God was on their side. What was important for them was to make sure they were on God's side. That's what was important. And what happened to those ones who did not side with the Lord? Well, I just read it to you. There fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. They died by the hands of His ministers, His priests. God killed them. He cut them down in terminal judgment. Tim, like Mr. Cash sang... You can run along for a long time. You can run along for a long time. You can run along for a long time, but sooner or later, God will cut you down. Saints, hear me. If God is on your side, you can get away with anything. But you can't get God on your side. You can't get God on your side. You have to get on His side. You have to get on His side. In the sordid history of Israel and Judah that's recorded in the Chronicles, one of the bright spots was the reign of King Asa in Judah. King Asa is often called good King Asa. In the Second Chronicles, the Bible says of him, quote, Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. For he took away the altars and the strange gods and the high places, and he broke down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. 
2 Chronicles 14, 2 through 4. And God honored the king, and he sent him a prophet. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, I read, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said unto me, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. And if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Second Chronicles 15, 1 and 2. The word of the prophet to the good king was, The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Think back to Joshua. You remember he asked that angel, whose side are you on? But old Joshua learned his lesson. He, he learned his lesson. He asked, he asked that question of the angel in chapter 5. But by the time we get to chapter 24, it's Joshua who's telling the Israelites, Choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served there on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua says, make up your mind. You have to choose today. Brothers and sisters, listen. We usually don't like conflict. We try to avoid it, and that's often a very good thing. But when it comes to God, and when it comes to right and wrong, we have to take sides. Friend, we have to choose The demand that we take sides is elemental to Christianity. Moses says, who is on the Lord's side? And the penalty for those who don't jump there pretty quickly, it's pretty drastic. Joshua says, choose today who you're going to serve. Our beloved Savior says, no man can serve two masters. Pick one. Zimmy says, you got to serve somebody. And the unwritten subtext to all of this is, you have to choose. You must choose. <laughs> And Tim, as Getty Lee sang, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. When wisdom cries aloud through the mouth of the prophet, she says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. 
Choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy 30, 19. Choose life. Choose life. Choose life. Why, oh why would you die? Please hear me. People can be divided into many classes. But this morning, I want to say a word to just two classes of people that are here today. To those who have sided with God. And to those who have not. First, to those of you who have not sided with God. Friend, if you're here today and you have not taken sides and sided with God, I have to warn you. I say, friend, if you're here today and you have not taken sides with God, utter ruin awaits you. No matter what you think, I actually don't care what you think about this. No matter what you think, the Holy Scriptures teach that all flesh must die. And the Bible said it is appointed to men once to die, but after this, the judgment. The teaching of all of Holy Scripture is that all humanity will die, but death is not the end. And the Scriptures teach that following death, all humans will stand before the great judge of all the earth. And this great judge will judge every human being. And listen, only those who are on God's side will survive that judgment. And those who are condemned at that judgment will face desolation, utter ruin. So if you have not taken sides with God, please listen to me. Hear the word of the prophet Elijah. (laughs) How long halt you between two opinions? If Jehovah be God, follow Him. Listen, dear friend, friend who has not sided with God. we, We don't give an invitation here at this church. But listen, you don't need an invitation from me. You already have an invitation from the Savior Himself. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of the living God has said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. You don't need an invitation from me. The King of Kings has given a personal invitation to you. And so I say with Elijah, how long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow Him. Listen, if Jesus Christ is the Lord, bow your knee to Him. Give 
your life to Him. Follow Him. Obey Him. Become His disciple. Why, oh why would you die? Well, dear friend, who has not sided with God, hear me. You've been warned. I'm innocent. You've been warned. But there's another class of us here today. And that's those of us who who say, I have. I have sided with God. I'm on God's side. I I am. I really am on God's side. And I praise God. Listen, I praise God that we'd say that. But saints, I'm your preacher. And I ask you today, are you really? Are we really? I'm not sure that's an easy question to answer. Because if we're honest, we have to admit that sometimes we're not. Don't you lie. If I ask, was David a man after God's own heart? Was he? Well, the answer must be a firm yes. Yes, he was. But if I ask, was David on God's side when he allowed his lust to turn into his adultery and he allowed his adultery to turn into murder? And I'll tell you, he was not on God's side then. He was not. Listen, if, if it had been a battle, then in those moments, it was as if he picked up his sword and was fighting for the other side. Wasn't it? He wasn't on God's side then. And saints, listen, I know that you know that all of God's saints are sinners. And you know as well as I that there are times when we fight for the wrong side. But God God help us. God help us. I believe we want to be on the right side. You know that throughout history there are folks that have done despicable things while boldly claiming that God was on their side. And so, saints, listen, just because we call ourselves Christians doesn't guarantee that God is on our side any more than being an ancient Israelite guaranteed that God was on their side. The plain teaching of Holy Scripture is that God is on the side of those who are on His side. And saints, I submit to you that we, you and me, we should make it a life goal to be sure we are on God's side. I'm not just talking about today. I'm talking about we need to check up on that every once in a while. And say, what does God think about this? Because I want to think the same thing He does. I do not want to be at odds with Him. And that's why I I think Christians should be deep thinkers. And contemplative type people. Are you on God's side? What about when it comes to something like abortion? It is the brutal killing of innocence. And saints, if we could see with spiritual eyes, blood is all over this land. 
And the young men, I tell you, if you could see with spiritual eyes, many of these young girls would lose their attraction to you. You can't see it. Thank God we can't see it, but they're covered with blood. God sees it. I thank Him I can't. Are you on God's side when it comes to sex? Will you agree that some things are wrong for no other reason than that God said so? And will you conduct your life in such a way that you'll honor God's commands? Are you on God's side when it comes to war? Can you answer the question, who would Jesus kill with a straight face? And saints, listen, we could sit here and list practical issues of living all day long. And for many, for many of them, there's no explicit command in Holy Scripture. It's up to us to apply the mind of Christ to the world in which we find ourselves. And listen, friend. Sometimes when we do that, it it may cost us. It may cost us to be on God's side. You might lose some friends. You might lose a job. But listen, listen, God is honored. God is greatly honored when His people seek to apply His wisdom to to the day-to-day issues of life. Our Savior promised the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. John 14, 26. And the Apostle Paul tells us that because we are Christians, quote, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 16. And so listen, if we synthesize those ideas, if we put those two ideas together, the teaching of Holy Scripture is that with the sayings of Jesus and with the mind of Christ that we possess through the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit, we have just what we need. We have exactly what we need to think through the naughty problems of living in a high-tech, modern fallen world we got everything we need friend we just need to be sure we're on God's side and listen if we are on his side then he's on our side and in the end everything will be all right if we are on His side. Now, there might be some timid saint here today who's saying in her heart, well, I think I'm on the Lord's side. I think I'm on the Lord's side, but I'm not sure. And if you're here today and that's what you're thinking, then I urge you with Petrine, with St. Peter's authority, I urge you with Petrine authority to give diligence to make your calling and election sure. 
2 Peter 1.10. Our Savior said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 7.21. Jesus is teaching the ones who are the real kingdom citizens are the ones who do what God says to do and don't do what God says not to do. Jesus is interested in our walk matching our talk. That's what James expounds on. You remember he writes, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man beholding his natural face in the mirror. He beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, ah, that man shall be blessed in his deed. James 1, 22 through 25. So if you're here today and you think you may be on the Lord's side, but you're not assured of it, then I, I urge you with apostolic authority to be diligent. I, listen, I urge you, don't rest. Do not rest until you resolve it. Be diligent about it and make your calling and election sure. Be sure you're on the Lord's side. Great King of glory and of grace, we own with humble shame. How vile is our degenerate race and our first father's name. From Adam flows our tainted blood. The poison reigns within, makes us averse to all that's good and willing slaves to sin. Daily we break His holy laws, then reject His grace enraged, engaged in the old serpent's cause against our Maker's face. We live estranged afar from God and love that distance well. With haste we run the dangerous road that leads to death and hell. But can such rebels be restored, such natures made divine? Let sinners see Thy glory, Lord, and feel this power of Thine. We raise our Father's name on high, who His own Spirit sends to bring rebellious sinners nigh and turn His foes to friends. Please stand with me for prayer. Let us pray. O Holy Father, blessed God, 10,000 snares are mine without and within. Defend Thou me. When sloth and indolence seize me, give me views of heaven. When sinners entice me, give me disrelish of their ways. When sensual pleasures tempt me, purify and refine me. When I desire worldly possessions, help me to be rich toward Thee. 
When the vanities of this world ensnare me, let me not plunge into new guilt and ruin. May I remember the dignity of my spiritual release and never be too busy to attend unto my soul. Never be so engrossed with time that I neglect the things of eternity. Thus may I not only live, but grow towards Thee. Form my mind to right notions of religion, that I may not judge of grace by wrong conceptions, nor measure my spiritual advances by the efforts of my natural being. May I seek after an increase of divine love to Thee, after unreserved resignation to Thy will, after extensive benevolence to my fellow creatures, after patience and fortitude of soul, after a heavenly disposition, after a concern that I may please Thee in public and in private. O draw upon my soul the lineaments of Christ in every trace and feature of which Thou wilt take delight. For I am Thy workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, Thy letter written with the Holy Spirit's pen, Thy tilled garden, ready for sowing and then harvest. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you.